We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 426 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilfett, and he's Emil Avinesian. And finally, Emil, we get to talk about a big result again today. Yes, at long last. <laughs> yeah, and I think people are already going to push back on that, because I'm going to add a disclaimer at the top that the way the show is going to work is we're going to go positive, then we're going to go negative mm-hmm. at the end, so you're going to have to wait. And I know a lot of Kool-Aids were disappointed at the way this match was played, about the thing that they had watched over 90 minutes. But you're going to have to, I guess, skip to the end of the show to hear the negative stuff (laughs) before we do all the positive. Because I think certainly for me on social media, and I know I should not have my own opinions dictated by social media. You know, I jumped into a Twitter space, shout out to Barca Spaces. But I felt like when I jumped in that space, it was way more negative than I even anticipated. Like I I want to go in and like celebrate the defense, which is what we're going to start talking about today. But I wanted to celebrate some of Xavi's opening tactics. I wanted to celebrate Araujo. And I sat there waiting to talk for 25, 30 minutes while people just went over and over and over again about how disappointed they were, about which players need to get out of the club, about what players are missing, about the board making mistakes in, in the squad with in terms of the players that were on the field and just their existence, right? Like Alonso, Roberto. Yeah. Like, what did Roberto do wrong yesterday? I can't believe we're, that's the first name I'm saying after Atletico Madrid, but I think that sums up where the state of Kool-Aid's were after that match and where yeah. I, I'm almost confused about what they were watching or not even what they were watching because I knew what they were watching. They were watching Barcelona lose in the Champions League and, and they just can't get that out of their system. Like no matter what, like you have to win yeah. three or four every match, nothing <clears> or else it's going, everything else is going to be a disappointment and tell you that the product isn't being built because they've already failed this season. And I, I think... I don't want our discussion to be focused on that because I, I think not to be a mouthpiece for Xavi or go coach mm-hmm. me with this, but this was, as Xavi said, a bit of a statement win. This is not the same Atletico Madrid that it may have been in years past, but Atletico Madrid is still expected to be a Champions League spot, even though they failed in Champions League too, but they're expected to get a Champions League spot this year in the top four. I know they're in the top six right now, but they got a one nothing win, basically playing Atletico Madrid's way at their house in the rain, in these awful conditions, and they got three huge points. And now they're three huge points up in the Liga table. And so, I, that, I mean, that's kind of where I want to start with the reaction because I, I know that it's about what we saw on the field more than it is the result. But the result is very, very, very important. 
in a lot of ways. I mean, particularly when it comes to individual players that I've loved and, you know, my favorite, my all-time favorites and, and stuff like that. I tend to have a strong affinity for and just love for the the types of players that, you know, kind of don't slave to the result. The, you know, the the Raquel Mays and, you know, to an extent, the Ronaldinho's and, and that type. But, and I understand that so much of the, the ethos of Barcelona and the ethos of Barcelona fandom is we don't just want to win. We want to win you know, the, the quote, the right way. And that's fine. And to an extent, I can get on board with that. And yeah, I mean, no one wants to watch Dower. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to watch sort of years of peak Cholismo to, you know, to, to invoke some Atletico stuff. But on the back of, I mean, not just the last couple of years where it's just, you know, been one, you know, existential crisis over, you know, after another, but even just post-World Cup, you come back, you're sitting in sole possession of first place, and you instantaneously, you know, drop points against Espanyol and Real Madrid are level on points. To just one week later, catch a break where, you know, Madrid lose and to now reestablish your lead bigger than it was before. I mean, that's a good thing. It sometimes baffles me where, you know, I'm sometimes curious where so many Barca fans find the energy to constantly be just so horrifically aggrieved and angry. I mean, I understand it, it wasn't ideal. There could have been more goals. And, you know, they flirted with disaster here and there. And it, fine. You know, like, it happened. But you went into the... In the rain, you went into an opposing stadium of a massive club with world-class players, and you came away with a win. And by hook or by crook, you didn't concede. Like, yeah. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's really important to note as we kind of get into the tactics here. And mm. I mean, I guess also talking about the defense at the same time, the way that Xavi set up his team to play against Atletico Madrid, he did it the right way. It's why Barcelona started so well, mm. try, trying to mirror them. He wanted to yeah. overload, not even the middle of the pitch, but he wanted to make sure that in all parts of the field, it was a three V two advantage in some way. So that's mm -hmm. why, and credit to Domogoy, who I had on the show in the last show that he, he had this totally right in his preview mm. that Barcelona were going to try to play basically five up front, to put mm -hmm. pressure and change that line of confrontation and push Atletico Madrid back into their half of the field. And Barcelona were able to do that by playing what was a, what, a 3-2-5. Yeah, there we go. They were playing mm -hmm. a 3-2-5 in possession, even in possession, and, and mm -hmm. trying to push them back so that that rest defense was set up to immediately take the ball back and put them under constant pressure, for which they did. So and then when they were defending, they were trying to have to figure out in a 3-4-3, mm -hmm. 3-4-3, yep, yep, or a, basically it was a 3-2-2-3, Mm -hmm. as well with that box of Gabi and Pedri. Yep. And so he set up his team knowing that who do we have to worry about? We have to make sure we get help over to the wings. We have to worry about Carrasco. We have to worry about Llorente. And they both pretty much had a moment. We yep. have to worry about Antoine Griezmann. And that box generally neutralized all of what Griezmann could do in that yep. game. We have to worry about Jao Felix and his movement. But he was held pretty well. He was uh, and, a non-factor. Right. And, and speaking of non-factors, like Koke was the worst midfielder of the bunch. Like you can yeah. say that uh, Frankie de Young was a bit pedestrian or casual. And that <clears throat> I thought Busquets was actually rather good yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and so Koke was the weak link for everybody mm -hmm. in, in any midfield in that game. And so Barcelona were taking advantage of that. Uh, we saw it in the 10th minute. There was like this wonderful run of play where it's Pedri with a little one-two in the half space. Balde goes out wide to stretch the defense. And then he, instead of recycling it like he regularly did, he got it back to De Young in the middle of the field more. So then De Young pushed it ahead to Gabi, to Dembele, who, who missed it. But that, that was a precursor to what the goal then would be. 
Which I mean, it was almost the he almost scored the goal that he wound up scoring. You know, twelve minutes before he scored it. Yeah. Then and at that point, you, tactically, you got to see what the blueprint for Barcelona was. Because mm-hmm. even after that goal was scored, like unless Oblak was going to hoof it and and try to do something in the middle of the field, which again now we'll talk about the defense that did not allow them to do. It's same thing with Ansu Fati. I, I saw a, a bunch of people saying how Ansu, oh, it's, he's so lost. It's awful. It's awful. But he did, I think, the job that he was asked to do. And it's like, yeah. I, I don't think, and this is a crazy hot take here. I'm not sure if Lewandowski scores a goal either. Because I, I don't, other than the shot, the two shots that were blocked from Ansu, yeah. those are the only two moments. And maybe it's it's Lewandowski in behind the diva instead of Pedri. Right after Pedri scored his goal, when that mm. ball kind of, uh, skirted to him with a mistake from Atletico Madrid. Yes. And he probably could have chipped the keeper. And maybe you put Lewandowski in that situation. Something different happens. But I don't know where Lewandowski is on the field that, that Ansu wasn't, where he would have yeah. had a better opportunity at the goal. Like, I know that Barcelona were shooting a lot. Or they had 29 total shots or something, 20 total, whatever it was. They had more than 20 shots. And you say, oh, they should have had a second there. But as I said, I, I think Ansu's work rate and what he was asked to do in his 54 minutes was to press and work hard and work hard and get his body orientation in the right way to force those clears in directions that Barcelona were set up to then win the second ball on the 50-50. And mm-hmm. they did that well. So like, these are little things where am I, I don't know, Emil, I think I, unfortunately I think you and I agree a bit too much on this, but I, I'm, I, I try to consider myself and check myself and say, am I overcorrecting and am I praising Ansu in spots that he shouldn't be praised because we should expect more of the number. Well, he was a number nine in that game, but we should yeah. expect more of a center forward. We should expect him to be putting himself in better positions to score. And he should have had a goal in that, in that instance, because I think a lot of our people are saying that if Dembele didn't score the goal or do something, then Barca wouldn't have scored a goal. And I think that's true, but it's also, what's the function? What is this team being asked to do? And what's the purpose of it? When Lewandowski is on the field, we've seen La Liga, the purpose of Lewandowski is for him to score the goals. This whole team is set up for yeah. Lewandowski to be the one to finish. And so when he is gone, what's the next option? It's Dembele has to either create yeah. the goals, which he didn't do, or he has to finish them. So Dembele kind of had to become the finisher, the one who puts the clinical goal in, or maybe somebody else would have yeah. done it. But well, it becomes more of a, a committee type of thing. I mean, like yeah. Lewandowski is the most, I mean, just a probably, you know, in, in world football, probably on the short list. But I mean, on this team, he is the one true, you know, genuinely bona fide, like to use a basketball term, like bucket getter. You know, I mean, he's mm-hmm. that's what he does in a, in a way that just no one else can can mimic on this team when he's not in the lineup. Like you don't really have a like for like replacement. Yeah. And so you have to it, it's a bit of a group effort to, you know, to bridge that gap. Right. And, and I think why I'm okay with that as well is a reminder that, you know, we get lost in it because I, I even had somebody again, going back to that Twitter space, tell us, tell me when I was starting to get excited about Araujo and I was talking about Pedri and Gabi and their performance yesterday, which, as I said, the two best midfielders yesterday were Pedri and Gabi and Barcelona got a victory out of that. And I think that's yeah. something that you really look at as a positive thing. And then I thought, actually, my man of the match, I know Gabi got it, but my man of the match was Ronald Araujo. And somebody then responded to me and said, but isn't that what we, we expect him to be? He's one of the best young defenders in the world, maybe one of the best defenders in the world. Get rid of the, the, the young caveat yeah. because of, of what you should, what, not what he showed you before, but it's also the argument I keep making about the Champions League thing that if Araujo is healthy, Barcelona is still in the Champions League. Like, there's no doubt. There's, it's like 2% doubt, but it, it's almost overwhelming I, idea in my head that, 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 that they would be there. And so when he responded that we should expect him from Araujo, I think the answer is, is still no. Like, Araujo is still like the best defenders in the world. Like consistency is the hardest thing. So for yeah. him to game in and game out, be this uh, this rock, this game changer mm-hmm. alongside Christensen, who's been very consistent, which is the best compliment I can give him more than yeah. even high level. 
And Kunde the same way. Kunde is a good player who's yeah. had some ones that were yes or no. And I think people were a little polarized about him. But I thought Kunde was actually really good yesterday, covering for Dembele, getting forward when he had to at times. I think Kunde's yep. freedom is going to get better and better because he, I mean, how him and Araujo worked together six games, right? I think it is something um, like that. Right? I mean, it's so, it's, it's not get better. more than that. It's not much more than that. Yeah, yeah, it's going to get better from Kunde. I mean, the, the numbers you can't lie is that Barcelona have conceded mm-hmm. just six goals in 16 league matches. And half of those came with the three goals to Real Madrid. So that's yeah. three goals. And I saw the 12, 12 clean sheets. 12 it's something like, yeah. 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 So it's like, and the, the six goals they conceded are half of the next team, which is Villarreal with 12. And so if you, and, and you have all these moments in that game yesterday that you could point yep. to. Of course, I'll let you talk about the, the goal line saved by Rajo, but there's all these tiny little moments that, uh, Christensen get picking up his yellow after he slipped because it was so rainy and then picking yeah. up the yellow in the way that he did it doesn't lead to anything there was all these tiny little moments in the game yesterday where Barcelona could have broken and that defense if it was Eric Garcia or Alonso from the start or even potentially Roberto that they probably would have conceded a goal but because mm-hmm. Rajo because Kuhn and because Christensen and now their top three center backs are at not the elite level but they're at top top level and you get Kunde to play right back you're in a good yeah. spot here and that defense that Again, praying for no injuries again, but that tells you financially Barca don't have the depth of squad to be able to handle injuries, and they didn't. That's why they're out of the Champions League. But if they're able to stay off injuries for the second half of the season, and I keep saying, like, that's a team that can win the Liga built on their defense, which does not excite Kool-Aid, right? It's counterintuitive to be excited yeah. and praising a Barcelona defense because that is not something that we've ever had to do because Barcelona's defense is built on having the balls, and not, not even now scoring, but having the ball and dominating the opponent going forward like they did the first 27 minutes of the game. But the first 27 minutes of the game were about building what they were building and getting the goal and all those things. And then the rest yeah. of the game was about suffering. And as Atletico Madrid, who are a good side, found the game, then you had to figure out a way to win. And they did that through elite defenders. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Particularly this year, I think the 
the upper, I mean, I'd say the top half, but certainly the, the upper third of La Liga, I think, is as as dangerous and as deep as it's probably been in in a minute. Like Real Sociedad are just just quietly sort of doing the doing the job and you know pretty comfortably you know for the moment pretty comfortably in third. My pick for best non Barca Madrid side and even better than Atletico Madrid prior to the season was Real Betis and you have Osasuna and it's just it's a it's a deeper league and there's a there's a greater breadth of breadth of quality. But still, I mean, so once you get out of that top seven or eight, I mean, those are going to be more difficult matches, I think, than Barca fans are used to. Like when you say you're playing the seventh place team in La Liga, like typically that's a team that finishes, you know, 45 points, you know, adrift of whoever wins the league or something like that. Well, well, it's actually, not... I, actually, I want to push back because I yeah. want to give a little bit of credit to Gloom and Doom. I think that La Liga is actually worse this year. Like looking at the other La Liga mm. matches that I've seen this season, I think La Liga as a whole is is worse because I, financially the league did not reinforce in any way in the, in, in the transfer windows. Yes. So the La Liga just... I mean, not to say that, you know, systems and all those things are important, but I think La Liga just unequivocally has worse players this season than they have in recent years in comparison to other leagues that you may watch. And so La Liga as a whole is, is worse, but so is Barcelona, right? Like that's the but, whole thing. Well, I guess what I'm is- saying is, yeah, I don't know if I, yeah, I guess maybe the one thing that I would, would um, amend a little bit is in a vacuum, I don't know that these teams are necessarily the best iterations of themselves from mm-hmm. years past, but, you know, week in and week out, it, the the league seems competitive from the the top three, top four on down in a way that, you know, a lot of times it wasn't. Like, it's it's more difficult to pencil in just ho-hum victories you know, against top half sides for Barca and Madrid and obviously Atletico and, you know, anyone else who happens to be up there. And so, but, you know, once you get out of that top seven or eight, the, the kind of performance, particularly in the first half hour that, that we saw is going to be good enough against two-thirds of this league. Mm -hmm. And two-thirds of your schedule comes against two-thirds of that league. I mean, that's where league titles are actually won. And that quality and that control in the game shows more against a team that is not, you know, Atletico or, you know, one of those sides. And also it's probably more sustainable against a, I don't know, a Girona, a Valladolid, whomever, you know. And against... Against your toughest competition, I know this is a kind of a, a lackluster version of of Atletico, but they are still, you know, objectively and in terms of just pure quality and pure talent, one of the what three best teams in the league. Still, you have to do what you have to do to get results, and and I understand no one wants to, you know, no Barca fan wants to root for for Catenaccio and you know, no one wants to play like Mourinho Ball or whatever, and neither do I. Like that's. It's it's the excitement that that kind of brings you in and, and keeps you here, but sometimes like you just need to get the thing done. You know what I mean? Like this, I, I I'm good on the kind of the the ideological battle cries and and you know glorious or sometimes less than glorious failure of the last couple of years. I mean, at the very least, like let's get something over the line because look the that whole Barca DNA thing and the and the philosophy and the way everyone wants to play, that's not going to go away if Barca win a league title leaning on their on their defense. You know, the decades of the decades of ethos are not going to evaporate because because you leaned on your back line for, for one year. Right now, like let's just put a damn flag up. You know what I mean? Like let's yeah. win another league title and that's going to beget more success. And like I said, I mean they're not going to this club isn't going to abandon everything it's been about because once De- like the defense carried the day. 
Well, I would say even in this game, like that's kind of was the yeah. argument about what we just watched against Atletico yesterday. But Xavi, by going with the system that he did, he was mirroring Atletico Madrid and in mm. theory attempting to beat them at their own game, which is that, well, well, Barca is high pressure. And so he was trying to do that. He was trying to bring high pressure and he did that and it worked a good effect. And that, that box midfield is something we've only seen with teams that are A, of high quality and B, mm. Xavi does expect to sit back a bit and not even counterattack, but they have moments of quality that they can get from really, really talented players like a Marcus Llorente, uh, Llorente mm-hmm. that they're going to be able to get forward that way. So I, I think for anyone expecting to see this against Real Betis in the Spain, the Spanish Super Cup, no, it, Barcelona against Real Betis are going to probably, I mean, I could say 90 is 5% sure. They're going to go back to a 4-3-3. It might likely be Pedri, Gabi, and De Jong in the midfield in that Spanish Super mm-hmm. Cup. So it's like to say that yesterday is indicative of where or who Barcelona are choosing to be and are now is is a bit unfair to the fact that with the squad that Xavi has, I, I think to get the best out of the players that he has on the field or in his 11 or because of the drop off between mm-hmm. the top players and then the what 17 through 22 in the squad yeah. that you kind of do have to become a bit of a chameleon team to navigate, especially on the road in the rain. It's like like I, I'm not making excuses for them when I'm saying that there were circumstances that they had to deal with and they did that. And so the things that I'm looking at that were really important to me that I'm mm-hmm. being positive about that I just like, I think we're almost taking for granted is that Pedri and Gabi to me yesterday showed me growth, even though they didn't score goal or well, Gabi got the assist mm-hmm. for MLA and Pedri yeah. got the, the MLS or hockey assist for Gabi yeah. through MLA. So like it was Pedri who started the move and it was pretty simple too, the way he, the, all, all that he did. I mean, uh, it was as much the fault of Koke on the goal that it was that Pedri actually did that, but people and do people do respond to him in a negative way about this, that he does recycle possession a bit too much, where instead of driving forward and having cover and being willing to lose the ball in certain spots, he is a bit too conservative, I think, sometimes. And Xavi even said, like, when Pedri blamed Xavi for the goal because he said, Xavi kind of tells me I have to shoot more, I have to get forward more. And we even yeah. saw in the Amazon documentary, it's one of the things that you'll see Xavi say to Pedri, even after victory, like, hey, you still need to shoot more, shoot more, shoot more. Yeah. And that's what he wants from him. And so with Pedri, it's pretty clear what, what everybody wants to get more out of Pedri. So for Pedri in the first 25 minutes, I think that's what happens to him as a young player where Barcelona are dominating the possession. They're dominating the game. It looks like at some point we're going to switch possession and Dembele is going to have his day. And you can see mm-hmm. Dembele was like, all right, it's me. I'm the man. <laughs> let's go. Let's do it. And I think they kind of get into that rhythm that's the way they want to go about their business. So for Pedri in the first 25, 26 minutes, the person were just dominating. He would, he would do the same thing. He would receive the ball in that half space. And generally he would either reset back to Christensen, or he would look for maybe a, a narrow diagonal to De Young, who would still yep. set up behind him mm-hmm. to then try to switch over to the other field or something like that. And so Pedri was only looking to the same spots or he'd try to get out the ball day or, and even that, that spot to Ansu Fadi as Ansu was coming in from the half space. Mm-hmm. Pedri Ansu wasn't really connecting well. Little nugget, thrown in here, by the way. First time ever that Ansu, Pedri, and Araujo were in the Barcelona starting 11 at the same time. So wrap your brain around that one. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So really? Wow. Yeah. First time ever. So they have played together, but this is the first time they ever started. Yeah. But anyway, for Pedri on the goal, instead of recycling possession the way he did, he winds up faking that perpendicular pass back to Christensen. Christensen feeds Pedri. So he fakes that pass. Both Koki and Molina bite on at the same time. And then Griezmann, who's coming behind, kind of like pushes Pedri to dribble into that space. Yeah. <laughs> then the young player in Barrios, who's a 19-year-old himself, he doesn't he doesn't come over quick enough to add that extra help. So you have four players around Pedri, all of which who didn't make the right move at the same uh, at the right time defensively. Yeah. 
And then Pedri just dribbles into that free space. It seems obvious, but it's not because Atletico Madrid and Koke and Molina were anticipating what Pedri had done for the first 26 minutes. And then because mm-hmm. he chose to do something different, all it took was that little bit of difference, that little bit of variance. And now Barcelona are are moving forward and, and heading for the goal where Gabi had, you know, he fouled him, but he had a good hold up play. And then Dembele yeah. aims the shot, puts it in. And, and Dembele will do that one out of every, what, five shots. And mm-hmm. so that wound up being yeah. the shot, is it? So on the goal in particular, I was happy to see that growth from Pedri and Gabi and taking on that uh, farther forward role and getting more involved in that final third. Uh, the other thing about Pedri and Gabi I want to throw in here before I move on is, and Xavi admitted this too when he was talking to Liga TV, as Atletico Madrid found that game, they were putting more pressure, and this is what they do at even at a premium. Even though Diego Simeone has kind of like lost full fight, all you know, we saw Coke. You know, Diego yeah. Simeone and Coke don't seem to be on the same page anymore. But still, when Atletico Madrid found that game and started to do pressure in Barcelona's final third, the way we know that they know how to, they started to force Tostegan long instead of passing up to the back like he'd done when Barcelona were bossing the game in the first half. And Xavi said that to to rectify that, it was a lot more balls up through the middle, looking for Dembele. We saw that in the second half. And for Ter Stegen, he had he had some mistakes that he made where he didn't have that long ball. But the activation on the long ball, I noticed, was Pedri and Gabi. And this was this is really good to see. That the the idea was that Pedri and Gabi would try to create a numerical overload on the wings because obviously you don't want to kick it and lose the ball in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. You can get out to the wings. It's like basic stuff. So Pedri or Gabi would basically raise their hand and point mm-hmm. and say either, yes, like get it, try to get it to me out to the wing because then mm-hmm. I either have Ansu coming in on the left side. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, left side for Pedri. And yeah. then I have Christensen stepping over behind to try to win that second ball. So we've set ourselves up where we have De Jong and we have Christensen that in theory is going to win that second ball if Pedri doesn't, if somebody gets over to Pedri in time or his first touch isn't good enough. But yeah. if they had that space and the defender was on their back, they would basically call for like, hey, uh, get it into that space between me, me and basically the sideline. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to collect and we're going to and we're going to try to move forward. And then Gabi to the other side. But if that wasn't on and the defender was tracking them well enough, they would basically push it like, hey, go to the other side. Because in theory, if, am I, if I have a man on me, that means the, their entire midfield has shifted and their forward line has shifted. So that means the number is on the other side. So you, the other yep. center back then on the opposite side should be free. And they generally was. That's why I think it was once Ter Stegen on a pass to Gabi and Gabi wasn't in the right position. Like he hadn't made the run mm-hmm. yet. And Kunde was a bit too far, even forward, to prepare for a longer ball hook forward. So Ter Stegen winds up under hitting it and he was put under pressure anyway. But that was like the only time when I felt like that really broke down. So like, I know it seems like, oh, the ball's bouncing all and things aren't working, but that's all forced by Atletico Madrid. And then for Pedri and Gabi to take those leadership roles and take on the responsibility of saying, okay, we're going to be the outlets here. We're going to be the reason why... I know we're not aerial threats because both of them are not tall players, but we're right. the reason why... And make the decisions as to how Barcelona are going to build out of this pressure, I think is a really, really bright side for, again, two young players. And I'm not, I cannot overstate just how young these guys are and those little things have to learn. Like, literally, Pedri's being taught how to... Like, you have to shoot. That's such a simple thing for a player. Like if you're 25 and don't choose to shoot, <laughs> like you're not going to play. But Pedri is being given the room and the space because Pedri is Barcelona's best midfielder to learn how he or learn when he has to shoot. I like everyone. Yeah. I mean, it'd be nice to see him shoot more. I mean, just to have more. I mean, I guess just more of a, I guess, I guess just blanket aggressiveness is the, is the way to say it. Cause I wanted to say it's like, just a, a slight dusting of carelessness. You know what I mean? I think it's because I think he loves, whether he says it or not, or whether he's even conscious of it or not, I think he loves the 
just the hilarious, gaudy uh, pass completion numbers. And, you know, at the end of every game where they're like, you know, Pedri played this many passes and, you know, it was like 97% or whatever. But not all of those passes are created created equal. And there's some of the some of the higher risk maneuvers will, you know, will yield at least opportunities for goals in a way that just playing the the safe ball to to DeYoung or Christensen or whomever simply will not. Well, he, he, did, he did lose the ball 17 times yesterday. His average is usually somewhere between 7 and 12. So that tells you that by yeah. losing the ball 17 times, he was getting into farther final third positions, and he yeah. was taking chances of losing the ball. So it's like, like what do you want, right? Do you want him to, to lose the ball a number of times that showed you that he showed that aggression? Or, I mean, obviously you want each of those to not happen and, and those to end the goal, but it's like that bad number. Yeah, I understand ideally we're like, yeah, him. don't lose the ball and be more aggressive and create all the goals <laughs> and shoot more, which, okay, cool, awesome. Yeah, 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 if we can order off the menu, we can absolutely, we'll just, we'll take all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, I thought I thought he played well, you know, particularly in that sort of the the opening, yeah, we're saying first 25, 30 minutes, that, that opening surge that, that Barca had that, you know, where they kind of really took control of the game. I also really enjoyed uh, Gabi. I think I'm trying to remember where it was. It was, I want to say maybe between minute 55 and 60, where I think that there was a point around the hour mark, maybe a little bit after, where I felt like, Barca took a little bit of the control back from, not necessarily that they took the control back from Atletico Madrid, but I think they, they took a little bit of the sting out of, out of Atletico's game. And a, and a lot of it came on, I remember one sequence in particular where, you know, Gabi won a header in the, in the midfield and then it came back and he essentially won another header, but this one was at about like, I don't know, chest level. And he sort of dove head first just to clear the ball with the header, like, like a ram almost. And it was just, he was, he was doing stuff like that. He was just mixed up in the midfield and, you know, in a way that he, he does. But I mean, I thought he was really important in that at the point where Barca at least wrestled the control of the game away from Atleti, if not fully regained it themselves. And I understand the, the complaint broadly speaking is there doesn't feel like there was ever a point after the, probably the half hour mark or Barca were ever in indisputably in, in control. It was just varying degrees of Atletico being in control or, or maybe just the, the ball, you know, the game was up for grabs, but at no point did you feel like the, the pendulum swung fully back to, to Barca's side. You know, we talk about a lot of the, the granular stuff and I, I, you know, I realize that's, that's why we're here, but just broadly speaking, I mean, they managed to create some adversity for themselves and, you know, Atletico is a good team. They're going to have some chances during the course of the game, anyway and you know they managed to to grind their way through i mean there, there was a little bit of luck i mean there was the after the the griezmann shot at you know right around the 40th minute or whatever there was the the first corner off of that the ball went past her stegen and it was headed just wide i mean that you know but that's a little bit of luck i mean you that happens you know and they they got the rub of the green there and and there was another header, I believe, was it Jimenez who put it just wide and could have. That was the best thirty third minute Jimenez. Yeah, best chance of the game for Atletico Madrid. And I think teams like Atletico Madrid are going to get one or two of those. That's what's going to happen. They're they're too good not to. I mean, there's yeah. just too much top shelf talent. I mean, even if look, Jao Felix was he was awful yesterday, but he's still a player that poses enough of a threat. Where even if he's not playing well, you absolutely cannot shirk your responsibilities on him. He's just he's got enough raw ability to find a moment of brilliance, even if he's not playing well. No, I mean, those, those things are going to happen. And, you know, there was obviously the the saving play by Araujo at the end that, yeah, there was a little bit of luck there. I mean, but I mean, but it's luck in the sense that one of your best players was in a position to 
be there and do something about it. But yeah, if the ball's, you know, a, a, a foot in another direction, then yeah, it ends up being 1-1 and now we're really clutching our pearls. But I don't know, it was, they, they ground out a game. And I know we talk about this, we, we sometimes, I, I feel like uh, you and I, when we talk about this, maybe do praise that. We find, I, I find we were praising that quality a lot. And, and I understand that's what's getting under the skin of a lot of, a lot of coolest, but yeah, because I think they want they want a killer instinct means putting the ball in the back of the net, putting that game away to nothing. And I would have much much preferred that as well, as opposed to having to sit here and praise Alonso who had a header away under pressure in stoppage time. Whether it was Roberto, like Roberto Alonso and Araujo surrounding Morata in the box, and none of the three committed a foul, but it was awful close for Roberto and Alonso. Yeah, in a foul, and so of course, like putting putting three points or putting well, in that case two points. On with the responsibility on the plate of Roberto and Alonso is not something I want to do as far as a Kool-Aid. Like, that's not what I want to do. But yeah. you do have to praise the fact that Barcelona kept their head late in this game. Uh, again, yeah. it culminated. It's, it's not the way you want to live, but you know, no. you can. It's the, when it happens, if it happens on occasion, I think it's worth. It's worth acknowledging that, okay, that, that didn't go exactly to plan. That wasn't, that wasn't ideally how we'd like to do it, but we got the result that we wanted. And in, Again, like in a in a hostile environment, in less than ideal conditions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to treat every lackluster win as a hey, put it on the board, you know, move on, yeah. nothing to worry about here. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like the I feel like for for where this club is right now and where this team is right now, that's kind of good enough because if they take too much of a don't slave to the result type of attitude and we're, you know, we're going to play the, the Barca way and everything. And they end up in these shootouts where they're dropping points, drawing two all or shipping two, three goals and losing. We're not going to be much happier then. I mean, I don't, I don't care how much, how aggressive they are and how, how much they kind of look like they have the eye of the tiger for two thirds of the game. If you're spending the other third, basically getting battered by opposing attacks, like that's not going to be a lot of fun either. Right now, we just, you know, I think we're treating this as though the everything that has ailed this club is completely over. And we this this should be sort of a, a peak vintage Barca side. And it's yeah. not. I mean, this is a good team, but it's not an imperious team. Like, this is not an untouchable force. Yeah, like, I mean, this is a team that still needs to, to find ways to win. Well, it's also like, I want to say, like, what I where I do hear people about the quality of the team and who they are and what they can do and what in the ways in which they're willing to suffer is interesting because I feel like in the Champions League when they say oh but a Champions League team like a Bayern Munich PSG Man City would would have destroyed Barcelona yesterday and maybe they would have but the approach would have been different and Barcelona probably would have lost out to talent in that way but I would remind people too that the leagues everywhere are different monsters and it, you do a different thing. You rotate in a yeah. different way. You play different tactics. Like that's why Man City are behind Arsenal in the league table and they don't win every single match in the Premier League. That's why Bayern Munich get caught at times in the Bundesliga, even though they wind up winning at the very end because their quality yeah. is so much greater than everyone else in the Bundesliga. But they do get caught at times in the season. And there are those years, and I say years, <laughs> not even months, but years when it's Bayern Munich, they make it a race until December or January. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. and then, and then they're gone again. And same thing with PSG, who have what they're 60% higher of a wage percentage of their wage bill than, than everybody else combined or something in, in Liga or some yeah, absurd something like, like that. that. And so they come back in the world cup, by the way, and without Messi and they lose their first match back. Yeah. And it's like Barcelona even drawing to Espanol or Real Madrid losing to Villarreal. And it's like, it's one of those things where 
and they were well, even uh, even Real Madrid. There, the two 0 win against Valladolid, it was goalless until yeah. an eighty third minute penalty, right. and then there was just an eighty ninth minute cherry on top from Benzema. But I mean, like they weren't that great in that game. And I think the argument that's made is that well, when those teams have to show up in the Champions League, they do, and Barcelona didn't. And I, I'm not going to argue with that. Like, of course, like Fine, I yeah. don't know, I don't know who Barcelona at their ceiling. Like all of those teams that we just mentioned, like PSG and Real Madrid. They have this thing that they tap into in the Champions League or the ceiling where they go, okay, we're, we have our top level. We know what to do. So we just survive the Liga. I mean, you suffer through the Liga. That's the whole point. And then you go up and show up with your best in the Champions League. And Barcelona yeah. didn't do that. And so we're going to continue to bring that up, which, again, is totally fair. And so the only thing yeah. to rectify some of that, and we'll continue to say it, is, is titles. Like, that's the whole thing that I'm going to make sure I'm celebrating the Liga trophy and, and results like this even that wind up being the ones that could win Barcelona at Liga Trophy. Because again, they're back up to three points ahead. And while they did lose to Real Madrid... These are the results that do it. Yep. And and, and players like Ronald Rojo are the ones that get it done. Like Again, a, a strong defense is what can win you the Liga, even though Barcelona's attacking prowess. They, again, they don't know what you're getting from everybody, even Lewandowski in Champions League. But you don't know what you're getting yeah. from your front six, unfortunately, at times this season. And I, I think that brings us... Not to say that we're going to end the show on this negative, but I kind of promise we're going to do that. I think the concerning thing that Barcelona did in this game that unfortunately I don't know if it's going to be rectified this year because I don't know what the answer to it is going to be. It is that Barcelona, after they scored the goal, Atletico Madrid found the game. That to mm-hmm. me was uh, the reasons for it were, were, were twofold. One is that Atletico Madrid, as I said, like Koke was completely sleepwalking in that first half. And then he was like, oh, wait, am I the captain of Atletico Madrid? Maybe I should like try and run a little bit. And having all those players kind of push and desire and all those Diego Simeone fight, fight, fight things. Once they showed a little bit of grit, like Atletico Madrid were able to find their way back in the game again a little bit. But when they say find their, their way in the game, they also took 63% possession after the goal in the first half, which is unacceptable for Barcelona from their stance where yeah. they need that much control. And the same thing is when you, they see that control, it's not even in the possession stat that's worrying, but it's also that once a team decides to go more vertical with a bit of confidence, not just going vertical for vertical sake, like Atletico Madrid, were trying to do when they're trying to clear the ball. But I mean like going vertical into Barcelona's half of the field and, and final third mm-hmm. of the field, then Barcelona really suffer. And I think that is, it's, it's twofold, right? It's personnel and it's, it, it's systemic as well. And so I, I think it was interesting in the 57th minute, I had in my notes that Barcelona kind of, by the 66th, 67th minute, they started to pin Atletico Madrid back again for about 10 mm-hmm. or so minutes before that final 10 minutes popped off and you had the two reds and everything kind of went crazy. And again, the final stretch and the final push, like we always see in a match where yeah. a team is looking for the equalizer, right? Like those things happen. They throw numbers forward, they throw bodies forward. But in the second half, when Barcelona was still kind of looking for their second, Atletico Madrid still had about 30 minutes or 25 minutes to go. Barcelona were able to make some of those changes. And I thought actually one of the better appearances from Kessier here, even though he came in for De Young and Busquets was still on the field, I thought Kessier was putting himself in the right spots and yep. defensively doing his job. I, again, I, I was pretty happy. I know he didn't do anything you remember. He even had a slip in, in Barcelona's own box. But again, like that's a weather thing more than anything else. Like he slipped, lost possession. Yeah, it's not like he, he doesn't have trouble standing up. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, just, right. like it's, a, it's a thing that happens. Like it's unfortunate. And, you know, fortunately it didn't, actually wind up with a with a tangible penalty attached to it. You yeah. know, I mean, just kind of in the form of an athletic goal or anything like that. No, no I mean, I thought he played, a, he played decently. I mean, he played a solid position, you know? 25 minutes, yeah. So, yeah. like, let me ask you. I mean, there's no answer to this, right? So I'm giving you time to kind of consider it. But, yep. like, when Barcelona losing control, you know, what is going to change? Like, what's going to be different? I, I don't 
for the Frankie Dion situation and the wage bill and all those things that we're talking about in the future, I don't know how that rectifies other than Frankie Dion like has to increase his level. And I, I'm not sure if certain structures, even not to excuse Shire, but I'm not sure if this kind of double pivot with Busquets structure can keep control of the match. Like it should on paper. Why is there's a reason why Young and Busquets shouldn't be able to kind of slow a match down and have this whole match be at the pace that Barcelona wants. I don't know. Is it something as simple as when Atletico Madrid are going vertical, they're going vertical on the wings and, and Barcelona aren't built to have Busquets have to cover on the wings. If Koundé is going to get forward, like positionally, are they leaving holes where they have to like the young because of Balde's positioning? And again, this was on purpose to straight to widen the field the way they did. Balde is way out on that touchline. Yeah. And the little, little side note here about Balde, not one of his best games, but a good enough game from Balde and actually a really yeah. important game for Balde too. Cause I think these are one of the ones where the coaching staff is able to look back at Balde's game on film and say, Hey, this was all about body orientation. You mm-hmm. have the speed and physical tools to get back. I liked how you were pushing and pushing yeah. Molina farther back and wide and kind of getting him out of the way to create space for Pedri to, mm-hmm. to drive into same thing with Gabi on the opposite side. So Balde, like it was right offensively and then body orientation wise, again, when you're, playing on a nice edge like that, you've got to get it right all the time. You've got to be ready to defend when necessary, when those balls are coming vertically. Yeah. So he was caught out again. I think it was a, what did I have? I think the 18th minute was the first time that they got in behind him. So he was like really good for the first like 15 minutes. Then mm-hmm. they started to get behind him a little bit. But that means that De Jong's positioning is farther over to the left. So is it yeah. a matter of like, will all that improve when body orientation of ball day on when Barcelona have possession even, like in preparation of losing the ball, yeah. his body orientation is better, does that mean that De Young can be shifted a bit over to the center, closer to Busquets, to have that space between Busquets and De Young be 10 to 12 yards, which is much easier to control a match in that way, as opposed to having to spread them out and, and allowing the oppos- opposition to bring their center forward and tuck him in to defend, or or their attacking midfielder in Griezmann, yeah. and defend Busquets off the ball. Like There are little, little things, like nuances like that, where I wonder, as Pedri and Gabi and the like, they improve their understanding and their positioning and all those things that it gets easier for Barcelona to control these matches. And it just, that's really the only thing I can come up with is that Barcelona is still rather young around the edges. Like, and Balde and Pedri yeah. and Gabi are so naturally good, yes, but there's a little nuances that in position that they don't necessarily have. And again, Busquets' physical ailments of this issue cannot not even make up for, but he can't be everywhere and he can't even do the things that we used to expect him to do. So it's, it's all those things combined that do have Barcelona winning this match, but losing control for what, 40, 40% of the game or eh, maybe less than that. Like maybe something like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could probably argue that Barca were the, the clearly second best team in the match for, yeah. I mean, I guess probably 40% or so. Yeah. About 35 minutes of the match. That sounds about right. Yeah, so to all the points that you brought up, I mean, I guess as you as you said, I mean, I was going to say it's you know a bit of column A, a bit of column B. I mean, it's yeah, it, why why is yeah. why I'm asking. The first thing that you talked about the the positioning and especially with Kunde and Balde are Kunde's further up, Balde's up over by the touchline, and just there are large gaps that I don't feel great about Busquets having <laughs> having to cover that much real estate and and have to make up for positioning as you know as Kunde is trying to trying to get back and and things like that. And a little bit of it is that, you know, I mean, I don't think De Young was awful yesterday, but I just, I thought he was just a little bit anonymous. I mean, he just wasn't, you know, he wasn't good enough. He was, he was a guy and you need him both in terms of his status, you know, his kind of stature on the team and bigger picture 
I don't even care about the wage bill in any one game necessarily, but you know, yeah, like you're, you've got him to be this fulcrum, this foundational piece. And he wasn't that yesterday. He was just, he was a, he was a player. He was a guy. And so, yeah, that's hard to recover from. I mean, for me, those are the big, two big things. I mean, I think if De Young, I think if De Young is better, he probably, you know, papers over a lot of those cracks and we're not as worried about it. And, you know, the team's not struggling to maintain possession. Yeah. Because like, this is a rare, <laughs> this is kind of a rare frustration, I guess, after a, after a Barca game, you know, win, lose, or draw, where the most frustrating matches are the ones where Barca control possession. They, you know, they have the ball for 70, 72% and are seemingly just sniffing around the edge of the box, but can never actually pose a tangible threat. Very rarely are we griping about the fact that they struggled to control the ball for 40% of the time for significant portions of a match. Again, I mean, I think this is a little bit of a one-off. I don't know that there's that many teams that they're going to run into, particularly in La Liga, that are equipped to, just even from a pure talent perspective, in addition to just from a tactical perspective, that are equipped to do that to, to Barca. So I don't, I don't know that this is a real, you know, week-in, week-out problem, but it's a potential problem against upper-tier opposition. And... It's going to be, you know, that to go and Manchester United are looking really good in, you know, domestically and, you know, mm-hmm. they're coming up in New- in the Europa and there's the return fixture against, uh, against Real Madrid later in the season. You know, I mean, those are, you know, I don't necessarily think that the, that the second classical of the season, ideally, if Barca can just keep getting results against everyone who's not in the sort of the top five of the league, that second classical theoretically shouldn't matter that much, but that also is where some of these these shortcomings will be laid bare. It's not going to be against, like I said, like the, the Valladolid's and the Girona's of the world, you know, week in, week out. But it's going to be on big stages. It's going to be when the lights are the brightest. And when it doesn't work, when it kind of, when it wobbles, it's going to look bad. And we're going to be really upset by that. And so I do understand where people are upset in that way. Because usually when people are unhappy with the performance, it's at least controlled the ball for 65-70% of the game but we just couldn't do anything with it or this one yeah this one did show a, just a really uncharacteristic sort of loss of control that is the antithesis of, of what the, the hallmark of this team is supposed to be. I mean I would argue that it's been happening since Valverde left like yeah. I mean arguably like that, that this control issue is something that we mm-hmm. I think the greatest expectations for mm-hmm. Barcelona teams are that they can control matches like this and they mm-hmm. haven't had their head to do that. But I, I think looking forward to people were bemoaning the that it was stupid for Ferran Torres to get a red card. But, you know, I, I know, you know, I'm not a big violence guy, but I also mm-hmm. am totally fine with some good old fashioned wrestling to stand up. Yeah. For yourself. And I think watching that encounter, I think Ferran Torres, I'm happy that he stood up for himself in that way. Because I look at if he gets a three match ban or something. Well, I look just looking at what's coming next. He can play, and Ansu is going to, to rest, I would mm-hmm. almost guarantee, on Thursday, and potentially even if they have a final of the Spanish uh, the Supercopa de España uh, on the weekend. So he'll rest against Real Betis, and then Copa del Rey against Cueta next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Ansu doesn't need to start that one because you have Lewandowski who's sitting and hanging out. So Lewandowski will likely start the next three games or two games, if, depending on the Real Betis result. So he, he starts semifinal, potential final, and Copa del Rey next Wednesday, that being Lewandowski. Baron mm-hmm. You can start him in those games if you want to as well. Give Rafinha a start somewhere. And so that means that you're still losing Lewandowski. 
for that being Sunday, the 22nd, which is the next Liga game against Adafe. So you don't have him for that one and you don't have him the following week against Girona. But again, that's like the quality of, of the squad that Barcelona have. Like you have to be able to manage without Ferran Torres and without mm-hmm. like, I mean, who knows again where Memphis is going to be, right? So with Memphis and with Ansu and with Dembele and with Rafinha, that foursome should be able to get you result against Adafe and against Girona with how good the defense is. And then yes. Lewandowski back for Real Betis. And then if that's the case, then you still are missing Ferran Torres if he gets a three-match ban. He, then he winds up missing Real Betis, having Ferran Torres while Lewandowski's back. That's in league. Yep. And then all, and then everybody in theory is back and healthy for Sevilla on February the fifth. Uh, then yep. the big one is Villarreal at this point. It's Villarreal on February the twelfth, and then then you're in back Europa League. So like the well, way that's that, going to be one of those huge. Yeah, I mean, I was looking just. I mean, you know, injuries happen too. Like we don't know. Like again, to plug everybody into all these spots is is something. And you know, of course, you get two players get a knock in training, then everything goes haywire. But mm-hmm. as far as the rotation that Barcelona have in their forward line and their squad, I think there's a lot worse for Ferran Torres to do than miss Adafe and Girona when he and Lewandowski can take, hopefully take a lot of the weight off with the Spanish Super Cup and the Copa del Rey for the next week and a half. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, because Lewandowski will be back. So what would it be? I mean, I guess it would be... Yeah, so Lewandowski... He'll be back for Real Betis then. Yeah. So, I mean, as you said, I mean, if they're without, Lewandowski, if they're without both Lewandowski and... So you're basically looking at an attack that looks like the one that started the game yesterday against Hitafe and Girona. And, and I think, like you said, I mean, there, there should be enough there to, to get six points out of that. I mean, it might not be the most dominating of performances as we, as we just saw, but I also don't think it'll be as kind of tough a sledding as, as it was yesterday. No, and shouldn't be unless it's a hurricane <laughs> up in uh, Girona. Which I know, been, and, and I mean, weather they're usually not as bad, but uh, Hidafe is back in Madrid, so I don't know. No, the 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 weather the weather here by and large is is pretty decent, so you know we're not even getting a ton of rain, and so hopefully it's <laughs> Girona's only about an hour hour north, so that should be all right. But um, you know, in a, in a very strange way, I do think the absence for Lewandowski, and we'll see how long Ferran Torres's ban is. Um, I think in a strange way, while it does absolutely hurt your depth, I think it declutters the the attack a little bit and you know as you go into a game so i think the again it's one of those things you don't want to live that way but i think in for for short spurts i'm i'm not sad that this kind of creates a a little bit of an all roads lead to give on sufati some starts yeah at, at center forward i mean i've been i've been beating this drum and i've also been beating the drum of this guy needs to start games i mean i don't know that you know i mean we saw what he did against intercity in the in the Copa del Rey, I guess, with the, with the with the stoppage time winner. But I would like to at least satisfy myself that Ansu Fati is nothing more than an impact sub at, at this point. And I feel like I'm not satisfied in that. And I, I haven't seen anything to suggest that he's a 20-25 minute game player. I don't think that suits his his way. So in a strange way, I think it kind of it simplifies the roadmap for roadmap for Xabi and putting together his 11s. Well, I was actually talking to a Manchester United friend uh, yeah. that I was doing a broadcast with the other day. And, you know, he's a big man, United fan. I've known him for more than a decade. And we were talking about at, about Ansu, and we, he was talking about uh, Marcus Rashford as well. And I'm like hearing him talk about Marcus Rashford and his like return to, to fitness and return yeah. to glory and all these things. And while he didn't have those injuries and the story yeah. is different, the way that Marcus Rashford has found himself yes. and kind of being given the time to rediscover himself there is an Ansu Fati-esque part of that where there could come five or six games where Ansu Fati like reemerges and becomes himself again. Yes. And so I think as far as people beating the drum that I, I like it's totally fair to say that 
Marcus Rashford, again, did not have the injuries that Ansu did. And it's fair for you to say, with those injuries, maybe Ansu is never Ansu again. But in the same regard, like yeah, forwards, yeah. forwards, this is what happened to them. They get lost in the wilderness, and some of them are found, and some of them are lost forever, and it yeah. never happened. But again, Rashford seems to be for Man United the blueprint on as the team started to play better and better, Rashford became more and more important player again as they found their form. And yeah. the arrival of Anthony did not ruin anything about what Rashford was doing. If anything, yeah. Rashford was emboldened by just the competition and the people around him. And so also in the same way, like, I mean, let's say he gets like those two games against Adafi and Zorona mm -hmm. and he's starting those games and he starts to find the back of the net mm -hmm. like, like one time in those two games or just finding where he can be useful again in yeah. all these ways. And people kind of two, let's say he scores in two straight matches and people like start to get quiet. And he's like, okay, now I can do five goals in eight games, right? Yeah. Or, six games in our last 14 games. And that's kind of what you expect from Ansu the rest of the season would hope that he can do. I, I, I don't know. I, I will end this on, on in hope. Like this show, yeah. this is my last point. So I will end the show in hope that the hope is that when you look around and it's the same thing about the Atletico Madrid match and Barca and all those things. If you take your head out of the, 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 the bog of Barcelona and you just look at some of the other things that are happening, you will find the other giants of Europe losing games in their league. You will find... Yeah that there are other players who have been lost and have been found again. You have found, you find that there are squad issues and lack of depth in other places around the world. Did yeah. all of them you lose in the Champions League? Well, Atletico Madrid did, but, and so did Barcelona. But no, not all of them are dealing with the expectations of Barcelona and what that means financially and what that means with the uphill climb of building a squad. Like Barcelona are very special in the difficulties ahead of them as far as the wage bill and how they construct and build a Champions League winning side again. That's a Barcelona problem that we can yeah. talk about. But as far as day-to-day -day results and grinding in your league, again, just take your head out of the bog, look around. It's 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 not so bad. Like the grass is actually not greener. The grass is muddier and uglier everywhere else too. I think yeah. what I would say. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it does come down to one of those situations that you know, coming in coming into the season, I know expectations were high. We had all the all the new faces, the new signings, and everything like that. But if you could just be I mean, I'm I'm delighted as I look. 16 matches in, so nearly halfway through the season, you've got a clear, you've got a solid three-point lead on Real Madrid, and it's not fake. You know what I mean? Like it's you're 35 to six goals scored versus goals against Madrid are 36 and 16. So you are kind of on paper the you know Pythagorean wins if you want to go with you know with, with other sports and whatever you've earned a you've earned your lead free and clear over Real Madrid over 16 games given the last couple of years i mean 16 games into the season look the champions league that sucked you know I mean, there's just there's no there's no two ways around it and it's it's really unfortunate that manchester united have seemed to have found their stride just in time to just in time for the the Europa League you know Europa uh, fixtures but you know in the league this team is doing exactly what it needs to do it's it's not always going to knock your socks off it's not always going to be peak you know peak guardiola or the dream team or anything like that but this is just right now this this is a team trying to do a job you know what i mean they're they're like you said they're they're fighting through there's, you know, the bog and the, and the mud and as everyone is, like everyone's slogging through this season and it could be way worse is, is what I'm saying, which I, I realize like, you know, Barca fans aren't really, aren't really a lot that, that enjoy the, uh, any kind of drumbeat of, hey, settle for good enough. But right. seriously, in this moment, like settle for good enough. 
Yep. Well, thanks for slogging with us on the podcast again. <laughs> if you could slog your way over to Twitter or Instagram, give Emil a follow. Mm-hmm. Give us a follow as well mm-hmm. at the Pod at Hoopsney13. For me, mm-hmm. close Facebook group, Patreon, mm-hmm. YouTube, TikTok, Barsupply.com. Actually, go back. Um, mm-hmm. There is, a, I, I'm going to, maybe I'll introduce them sometime, but uh, there's somebody who's going to be writing for us. So there's more content. Uh, special content just on barsablog.com right now to say we actually did start a disc tiktok as well and the discord so you got a lot of places to bog mm-hmm. yourself around and a lot of if you want to complain you got a lot of places to complain to me so <laughs> hit me up complain on all those different platforms i hope to see you there most importantly thanks so much for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time talk to you soon for some barca for some barca It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com